Mark chapter 9. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. As we stated before, this English translation of the Bible is nevertheless, it's a translation, but it is a faithful representation of the very Word of God, inspired, inerrant, and true. And so we can receive it as the Word of God. Mark chapter 9, beginning in in verse 1. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. Would you pray with me now? We ask, Lord, that you would bless us even as we read your word. It is your word. It is a word from you. It is the word that binds us, that guides us, that holds us fast, that interprets our world for us, that testifies to Jesus Christ, the only Savior the world can ever know. We thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we thank you that your word is the reason we are here, the word of the gospel, the word of the testimony of the risen Christ, that we can gather here this morning to worship you. And we do thank you that in this church, in this city, at this time, we can gather in such peace and safety. But we also recognize there are people this morning who are not in peace, who are harried about and not in safety. And we think of all those people that are being displaced by the wildfires in the Okanagan Valley, those in the Northwest Territories. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would grant comfort and mercy to them this morning. Pray for Pastor John Tucker and Providence Baptist Church in Kelowna. I pray that you would meet him and his family's needs. And that congregation, we ask, Lord, that you would comfort them even as you uh, equip them to serve their neighbors and to extend Christ's love to them in this time of difficulty. Lord, we also want to praise and rejoice in you for all that you have done, uh, even just as we've testified earlier in the service, even in all of these marriages. Lord, we thank you that yesterday Tamara and Mateus and Lauren and Gavin got married. And Lord, we're just so encouraged that you are causing young men and women, to join together in marriage and doing so in Christ. 
Lord, we want that to continue. We pray that you would bless uh, upcoming marriages in our church family. And for all those married couples, maybe they've been married many, many years, we pray that they would be able to rejoice in their marriages even as they continue on in faith together. Lord, as well, we thank you for the ministry of the Young's Farm VBS in the past week. We thank you for bringing volunteers together to teach and help and uh, do logistical work and uh, try to try to evangelize these young children. Thank you for Calvin and Rita Heinrichs, Lord. We pray that you would just sustain them in this ministry. We pray for the little lives that came to the VBS. We pray that even from a young age, many of them would have a true and sincere faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, uh, how wonderful it would be, how hope-giving it would be if we would see a mass movement of children believing in the Lord Jesus Christ across this land. Lord, it would give us much hope for the future in this nation. And we know that you're able to do it, so we ask that you would act and that you would do it. Lord, as well, we, uh, with all of these things that are going on, we also have this, uh, this bittersweetness of being able to uh, say goodbye to Josh and Julie Carey and Amelia, and Carson, and Margaret, and Lord, as they are uh, getting ready to take up officially their Josh's duties at Grace Cochran Church, we pray that your hand would be upon that family, even as we'll give them a charge later on in the service. Lord, you are the true God, and we are not here to play games. We ask that by your mighty power, even the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would cause us, even as we just sang, to see Jesus Christ by the eye of faith according to his own word. Do this, we pray now, in this special event of the preaching of your word. Do this for your own glory, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to take your seats. The challenge of ministry, I think, in this day and age, but also the challenge for each of you, if you're a professing believer in Jesus Christ, the challenge at this time is actually not the church and state issues. It's actually not the sodomy lobby. It is something even more fundamental as a challenge, although these other issues are a big deal for us. It is something more fundamental. And I would argue that the challenge for each of you, and as I think about Josh Carey and, and a charge to him as he takes up the senior pastorate of Grace Cochran Church, the charge and challenge for all of us is the fight to hear. The fight to hear. What do I mean by that? The fight to hear. It is... Being in such a context where there's so much noise. I'm not talking about, I don't think our congregation is very noisy. I think the kids are all well behaved, actually. So if you're distracted by the kids, you're not paying attention good enough. There is so much noise in society. So, many, so much info 
There are so many voices coming at you, telling you one thing and then another. Is it spin? Is it propaganda? Is it a conspiracy? Is it fake news? Is it misinformation? All of these voices coming at you, and in the midst of it, there is this necessity, this urgent necessity to fight, to hear. To hear what, you might ask? What am I supposed to hear? My ears are filled with all kinds of things. What am I supposed to fight to hear? We need to fight to hear the Word of God. We must fight to hear the Word of God. To to actually bend your ear to hear the Word of Christ. The Word made flesh who dwelt among us. Even Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's what we need. And it's a very simple gauge for each of us to consider. It's just... What are we listening to? What are we listening to? What's occupying our attention? And compare that with the very Word of Christ. And the challenge is then this fight to hear. And I I found this illustrated just in the last couple weeks. Just even, I'm getting older, and I think I've been around enough uh, loud machinery that I think my hearing is starting to go. So at the drive through window, I'm the guy that's sticking my head out the window and bending my ear into that little speaker to try to get the soft-spoken gal there to try to speak up. And uh, I look very strange at that point. Or I think about these fires and thinking about times of emergency and even remembering back 10 years ago when we had the flood and when you when you have these crisis moments there's so many people saying so many things and yet it's so critical to listen to the few people who actually know what they're doing and and can tell you what to do where you need to go to get help it's so important to listen to those voices in the midst of all the chaos And this morning, we want to be attentive to Jesus Christ, to the real Christ, to the living Christ, to His living, abiding, powerful words, what we call the Word of God, even the Holy Scriptures. And that's what we find when we see this episode in Mark 9, beginning in verse 2, with this this episode of the transfiguration. If you're a Christian and you're a Bible reader, you're familiar with this story, the transfiguration told in the other gospel accounts. And you have Peter, James, and John going with Jesus on this this high mountain. And it's just them. Just them by themselves. And he's transfigured. He's, He's changed. And we have heaven, as it were, being revealed to these men. We have this hint at at the divine nature of Jesus Christ hinted at. We have this thought of Jesus Christ, the true man, glorified at this time when He's still in His earthly ministry, glorified in a way that He enjoys right now as He has ascended into heaven glorified having been resurrected from the dead and ascended into heaven. 
And so then they see then this picture of this one clothed, verse 3, with his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. That's just, that's one of those things where how do you describe being blinded by looking at someone? And so this is this great transformation that happens. And so their, their focus is fixated on Jesus. And that's appropriate. It's appropriate because these three men, Peter, James, and John, they come to this, like, why is it they're up on this high mountain with Jesus? Well, we have to, have to remember that Jesus has been the one who has been the center of all of their, all of their discipleship. He is the one who has called these men to himself. He is the one who calls you, if you're a Christian believer, he calls you to himself. And if you're not a Christian believer, his call, his summons is towards you and you're still refusing it. You need to stop refusing and respond to his summons. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus would say to people, he would say simply this, two words, follow me. And you are summoned, even this morning, to follow Jesus. He says, follow me. In John 10 and verse 4, Jesus could say that the sheep, that is Christian believers, he uses the metaphor of sheep, the sheep follow him, that is the great shepherd, the sheep follow him for they know his voice. If you're a Christian believer here today, you know the voice of Jesus because you have His Word. You know His voice. You know, even we could say, His distinct accent is something of the idea of the Greek word for voice there. You know, I mean, sometimes uh, when people meet my family, me and, and, and my boys, they, they, well, we actually had it the other day. We were at the ice cream shop. And the gal said, uh, where are you guys from? You guys from out of town? Because we, you know, we've kind of picked up all these cowboyisms and we, we don't, you know, people, they kind of wonder, are we from Alabama or like where are we from? But Jesus has his own distinct accent that you find in the Scriptures. And the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. They're not going to follow the voice of a stranger. We don't follow any other gurus or any other prophets or any other voices. We follow the voice of Jesus Christ. We heed Him. And just like if a mother called out or spoke in this room and a ch- their own child heard it, the child would know it's their own mother's voice. They would go to their mother. Because children know their parents. They know the voice of their parents. They're summoned to it. Now sometimes kids still just refuse to come, but that, they, know, they know it's you calling them. Uh, that's, that's a different issue. In John 1.14, we are told that the Word, that is the Logos, who is in the beginning He was in the beginning with God, and 
was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is Jesus Christ, the incarnate one, the one, the, the Son of God who took on flesh, but he is described as the Word. And so we are attentive to the Word. We are attentive to Christ Himself. And we are attentive, attentive to all that Christ has said, namely in His Holy Scriptures. We are also told by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 10 that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. So how, how do we believe how can you believe? You might be here this morning and you're like, I don't, I don't know, I don't get this stuff. I don't know where we're at with this stuff. How do you believe? Well, it comes through hearing the word of Christ. Now maybe you're, now maybe you're thinking, oh yeah, well, yeah, I, studied, I looked at the Bible in the past or I was taught it in Sunday school. I don't really need it now. No, no. Are you, not just that you heard it once, are you hearing now, the Word of Christ. Because the Word of Christ is calling you. The Word of Christ is summoning you. It's calling you to attention. To pay attention. To, to wake up and to pay attention to Jesus. And, and, that, and if you pay attention to Him, you're not paying attention to all these other voices. All of this other stuff. All the other things. You're attentive to him. And so this is also a word for pastors. And you think, well, of course, of course pastors are paying attention to Jesus, paying attention to his word. But pastors face all kinds of distractions too. Pastors have lots of voices wanting them to go in various directions. Now, there is a, a kind of just, just after the Puritan era, there was an Anglican minister named Charles Bridges who wrote a book that's specifically for pastors. And commenting on the Apostle Paul's teaching on this subject, on this attentiveness to, to Christ, Bridges says this regarding the Apostle Paul. He said, the Apostle Paul would have us affirm constantly that is, these pastors, we're to be doing this, would have us pastors affirm constantly the doctrine of man's ruin and recovery as the sole efficient spring of practical godliness. And after his own example, bend all subjects, bend all subjects naturally to Christ. Bend them. Bend the subject to Christ and concentrate them all in the full exhibition of His cross. That's what we're to be doing. That's what pastors are to be doing. We're to bend every subject toward Christ. Doesn't matter what the topic is. Doesn't matter what the issue is. We're to bend those subjects toward Him. We bend our ear to Christ and we bend every subject toward Him and toward His cross. And that's also the calling for you as a Christian believer. It's not enough to say, oh, well, I went to church. Churchiness does not save you. 
You have to be oriented to Jesus Christ. Christ and Christ alone. Not trusting in the church as church to save you, but trusting in Christ. And you have to bend then every subject, every topic, every issue in your life, bend it toward Him. That's what we're called to. That's what Christians are called to. And specifically, that's what pastors are called to, even as we're thinking about this charge to Josh Carey and his ministry. Well, that's the calling that we face. And that's what Peter, James, and John, that was their calling. They were to have their lives bent toward Christ. And so that's why they're up on top of this high mountain. Now, they get there. And Jesus is transfigured in this spectacular, miraculous way before them. And then look at verse 4 of Mark 9. And if you have trouble following along, following my sermon, it's always helpful. Open your Bible, follow along, it'll it'll help you along. Mark 9 and verse 4. There appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Okay. Okay. You can come on Wednesday nights and we'll do the systematic theology study, but this is a stumper. Like, this is hard to get your head around. How is it that Moses in truth and Elijah in truth are there talking with Jesus? Because Moses and Elijah died. And yet, they're alive. This is the point. This is the point. When believers die, their bodies may die, but their spirit remains alive because their spirit is immediately with the Lord. And this is then the amazing power of Jesus Christ, that He could converse with the living spirits of Elijah and Moses. But this also presents us with my second point, which is the problem that we all have in the midst of these call, this calling to be attentive and bend our ears toward Jesus is that we can get distracted by good things. We get distracted by good things. And here on the Mount of Transfiguration, this is about the best you can get. You've got Moses and Elijah. How could it be better? Moses representing the law, Elijah representing the prophets. Moses, who was the leader of God's people as the lawgiver. Elijah, as the leader of God's people as the prophecy maker. And they were both leaders of God's people at very special times. Of course, you remember the exodus of Israel from Egypt to the promised land, led by Moses. You remember the division and the decline of Israel, even as Elijah spoke into that and tried to lead a faithful remnant out of that. In Exodus chapter 20, Moses is the one who is talking with God on the mountain. He is hearing God directly and then is communicating that to the people. And in Exodus chapter 33, Moses is the one who gets a chance to see just kind of the afterglow of God's glory. Whereas Elijah in 1 Kings 19 Verses 9 to 12, he, he, he's able, he gets this chance to hear from God. And it, it's not in the storm. It's not in all of this loud chaos. 
but he is spoken to even in a low whisper, even in, as the King James has it, that still, small voice. And what was the message in 1 Kings 19 that Elijah heard from God when he was so wore out from ministry and he felt so defeated and thought it's all doom and gloom because these wicked rulers, Ahab and Jezebel, they're just they're bringing all this idolatry and doing all this wicked stuff in the nation. Sounds very similar to things we're concerned about today and you can get tired out just like Elijah was. And God reminded Elijah, that there are all of this vast remnant of people who have not bowed the knee to Baal, who have not kissed the idol. Because Elijah was thinking, yeah, it's just me. It's just me. There's none left. And sometimes you feel that way. You think, oh, it's just me. There's nobody else who's faithful. Everybody's gone off the rails. Everybody's you know, bought into the propaganda. So these are the two guys. It's Moses and Elijah. They're epic figures. And for a conservative, hardworking, faithful Jew like the fisherman Peter, along with James and John, it would have made sense that he would have been relieved to see these two great leaders, these great epic leaders in Israel, and they show up supernaturally on the scene. You know, you can imagine, just kind of have a little sympathy for Peter. You know, he, he would have thought it's a good thing. And, and when you're down, when you're feeling down like so many of us are today, like you are and I am in many respects, you're just aching for some good news. You're just aching for some encouragement. You're eager to see someone step up and provide some leadership. You're wanting someone to lead you to a good place to lead you to some good times. And of course, it wasn't that Jesus wasn't a good leader. But Jesus at this point had no real track record. He hadn't been leading all of Israel. He'd been doing a bunch of stuff up in Galilee. He'd doing miracles and cool stuff was happening. But he hadn't led the whole people. He hadn't really revealed himself to the whole nation. Jesus, Jesus at this point wasn't marching victoriously into Jerusalem. But Moses and Elijah, they were known commodities. They had this great track record. They were the epitome of Israel's deliverers. And now they're on site with Jesus. This is great timing. So that's what Peter would have been thinking possibly. And yet, like so many things, even the appearance of good leaders or good opportunities, these can be merely good distractions. They can distract us away from the main thing. And I just wonder, to what extent, you know, you know, you know, you, did, you were confessing it earlier. To what extent, the hidden faults, the presumptuous sins, to what extent are you distracted from the Lord? And I would just say as an aside for pastors, for Josh, for myself, any pastors, pastors can be distracted by wanting to be amateur politicians. Uh, you know, that's me. I want to be an amateur politician. Uh, some guys are amateur coffee connoisseurs. That's not me. Uh, some guys are just amateur amateurs. Uh, they are just got million hobbies they're not good at. 
Uh, there's a lot of pastors like that. But pastors can get distracted by even looking to other good leaders whom God has raised up for a specific time and place, and they follow those leaders too closely, and that can get a man off track. It doesn't matter who the famous preacher is, whether it's John MacArthur or John Piper, or they said of Martin Lloyd-Jones, they said of Spurgeon. Guys would get around them, and then when you would hear those guys preach, they would sound exactly like the hero did. You know, and it's kind of like, do your own thing, man. You, know, don't, you don't need to sound like him. You don't need to sound like MacArthur. You don't need to sound like Lloyd-Jones. You don't need to sound like Piper. It gets you off track. It can be a good, you know, it's, there, it's good. There's good stuff there, but it can be a good distraction. And, and it's the same for you and I in all of our walks of life. We can get off track when we are invested in philosophies and in theories and in the great leaders that are presented before us. Now, to date in the first century, the events which Mark is recording for us, there had never been an instance when Moses and Elijah had been together. They have a gap of centuries. So that's astounding in itself. Both had died, but but both were truly alive in the Spirit. And Jesus was talking to them. And, and so this is a glimpse into heaven itself. As, as saints, if you're, a, if you're a Christian believer here, and you, maybe, you've, maybe, you, maybe you've been at a funeral recently and you saw a Christian believer who's passed on, and then the thought that then in heaven, this is what the saints will do. They will talk with Jesus, converse with Jesus, speak with Him. It's something we just don't even do. We don't even think about what it's going to be like in heaven to talk with Jesus. And this is what they would do. They would gather around the throne of the Son and converse with Him. Peter knows it's special. But he's not quite sure how special it is. So he suggests that three tabernacles be set up for Moses, for Elijah, and for Jesus in verse 7. Now at that point, the history of Judaism, if, if, if that would have been endorsed three-tenths, the history of Judaism and the history of Christianity would have gone very differently. It would have been more like a modern cult. That's what you would have had. A modern cult. There would be worship of these three Jews who had supernatural powers. That's what the religion would be. I don't know what you would call it, but it would be this kind of pseudo-Jewish supernaturalist religion. But it wouldn't be Christianity. But that at that point, that's how Peter was viewing Jesus as well. Jesus had supernatural powers, sure. He was commanding the waters like Moses, or he could heal like Elijah. But Peter wasn't seeing clearly that Jesus alone was God. And although Peter was terrified, he was not fearing the Lord as he should have been. So, of course, God had to intervene. And he does that with you and he does it with me. When you're not fearing the Lord, when you're fearing man or you're just, you know, you're just being self-sufficient and you don't fear anybody, He will intervene so that you fear Him, that you pay Him the attention and the respect and the awe and the focus that is due to Him. He will intervene. 
Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it's with great pleasure. And you're just like overawed by, wow, look at how good God is. I wasn't paying attention to him before, but now I am. Wow, look at how good he's been to me. Now before we look at that intervention, my last point is to note in verse 7, is just to ask then, just think about, are you being distracted these days by good things? Is it taking away your attention from the best, from the highest focus, namely the glorious one, Jesus Christ? It's just such an, it's, it's kind of an easy application that each of us can make. It's not just for some people, it's for every individual here. How are you being distracted? And this is an opportunity to reorient yourself away from even good things. All the good things in your life, but reorient to Jesus Christ alone. But that brings me then to my third point, which is to listen to Him, to bend your ear, to hear His Word. What was this urgent command that God gave to Peter, James, and John in the face of all these good distractions? You have it there in verse 7. A cloud overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. And then the command. Listen to him. It's a command. Listen to him. I was reminded of the story about John Calvin. John Calvin believed this so much, this obeying this listen to him command. He believed it so much that um, when he returned to Geneva after he had been exiled for three years, they kicked him out of the city and then they invited him back. Why would you want to go back? Right? They kicked you out once. But he came back three years later and you know what he did the first sermon back? He picked up at the very next verse that he had left off from three years earlier. Now, it's either that Calvin's just kind of a nerd or that he just knew that the Genevans, they didn't need to pay attention so much to Calvin. It wasn't like, hey, I'm back. This sermon's about me. But instead, it was more he, he wants them to bend their ear to hear the Word of Christ, to hear the Word of God. That's what's important. Not that Calvin himself was back in that city. Why should we listen? Why should we listen to Jesus? It's a very good question. It's a question you might ask somebody. Why, why should they listen to Jesus? They might even put it to you. Why bother? Why should I listen to Jesus? We have it here from the mouth of God. Because verse 7, it says, This is my beloved Son in the ESV. Or, This is my Son, my beloved. Now, there's a few things to see here. He's saying there are no competitors. There are no competitors. There is no other Son like him. Adam was called the son of God, but this there's no competitor here. Israel was called the son of God, but there's no competitor here. God says, this, this is my 
son. So there is now a renewed focus that is special and distinct, that is unlike any view of anyone at any time who has been said or thought of as the Son of God. This is my Son, the Father says. There is no other Son like Him. This is my Son, possessed by His Father. And not only that, not only are there no competitors, this one, this Jesus, is beloved of God. God loves him. He has, you know, he's saying, how deep the Father's love for us. How deep the Father's love for his Son. That's it. He is beloved of God. So you've got God's perfect love for the Son, who is himself perfect, flawless, and altogether lovely. So this love is... There's no blemish in it. It is absolutely pure and perfect. This is His beloved Son. And so, when God gives this charge to us, to pastors, to everyone, He says, listen. Listen to Him, Moses and Elijah, in equal measure. No, He doesn't say it like that. He doesn't mention Moses and Elijah, even, until, even though up to that point, you are to be paying attention to Moses and Elijah, and we still listen to their word, but they are, we're not listening to them in comparison to listening to Christ. He says, listen to Him. Like I said, the fight of this generation is a fight to hear, and it is then to hear the word of Christ because it requires all of our attention. And you say, yeah, but I've got to think about how, you know, what are we going to eat for lunch? I've got to think about that. I've got to think about, you know, what are the, you know, seven things we've got to do this afternoon? Yeah, you've got to think about those things, but you need to bend every subject toward Christ. You need to bend your ear toward Christ so that you're aware of, well, what does Christ have to say? Do you believe that Jesus is still on the throne in the midst of all that's going on? Well, that's how you're bending your ear toward Him. Pastors, of course, they need to give special attention to Christ Himself. Not just commenting on Christ, but actually to heed Christ. It's easy to listen to the commentators and listen to the, all the other stuff, but to actually listen to Christ Himself from His Word. That has to be a pastor and a Christian's exclusive priority. It has to be, you know, when you're, when you're thinking of all the volume levels on all the stuff in your life, the highest volume has to be turned up on what are you hearing about Jesus Christ. You're to listen to Him your most purposeful posture is going to be toward His voice, toward Him. That's what you want to be because the sheep hear His voice and follow Him. Verse 8, suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. It is exclusive and I would just say, if you're like me, your life and your attention span gets cluttered. It's like my inbox 
or my garage or my pickup truck. They just, like the stuff accumulates and it just accumulates and the distraction accumulates and you think you're doing the right thing but you're actually focused on a lot of other stuff. And we need to then clear out the clutter and listen to Him. Now, when we have this charge, both as Christians and to pastors, I want to then point out just a couple of things that I think there's people here that will be mistaken when they hear this idea, oh, they need to, they need to hear Christ. They need to hear the Word of Christ. And, and you're actually not noting that when I say you hear the Word of Christ, you're hearing this Word, not hearing some other mystical word. Now, what do I mean by that? Listening to Jesus is not hearing Him by what's called listening prayer. Now, if you don't know what that is, that's good. But there's this, this idea, there's, it's taught in many churches in this city and across Canada, this idea that you repeat the words of Scripture. You would just you would repeat, say, verse 7, over and over and over and over again, so that the words start to lose their meaning. And you actually enter almost into, and, and probably, into an altered state of consciousness. And you do this in order, by that repetition over and over and over and over again, that then you would hopefully then get a new revelation. You would, get, you would then hear the voice of Jesus telling you something to do. This is very dangerous. If you are doing this, stop. That is not hearing the Word of Christ. That is not hearing His Word. That is entering into something completely different. As the hymn said, what more can He say to you? What more can He say than to you He has said to you who for refuge to Jesus has fled? There's no more for Him to say. He said it here. Listening prayer is advocated by a guy named Brad Jerzak. There's many other these gurus. It's also part of the Roman Catholic spiritual direction movement. It has a lot more similarity to the Hindu concept of mantra or its Buddhist practices of meditation. And this is one you've heard of. The idea of mindfulness. Mindfulness is actually mind emptiness. It's actually you're supposed to empty your mind. Christians are not to empty their minds. We are to fill our minds with the Word of God. We are to be attentive to the Word of Christ. So it's not listening prayer. That is not bending your ear to hear His Word. Further to this, it's not hearing without doing. James 1.22 says, But be doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. See, there is this thing, and it's, I mean, there's not a lot of it here, but there's, there's people here I know. There's this kind of religious hearing that goes on in this church. 
where people hear sermons. They even read the Bible. And yet, they refuse to do what the Bible says. They refuse to do what Jesus tells them to do. And they refuse to repent. They refuse to humble themselves. And yet, they come. They come, they'll be at church here. And that is hearing without doing. That's hearing without obeying. And that is not hearing the Word of Christ. But thirdly, it's not hearing once and then saying, yeah, I heard that, and then you just move on and ignore it. There is a great danger in this church as there are many maturing people, many people who have matured as Christians. It's a great threat to pastors. It's a threat for Josh. It's a threat for me. It's a threat for the elders. The threat is this, that you hear the word of Christ with a sense of awe and wonder and new discovery, but then later on, you kind of ignore it because it's not new anymore. How many people, how many people have said, yeah, I'm not going to bother with that Bible study because I've read, I've studied that book of the Bible. <laughs> you've studied it. Oh, <laughs> so you've got it mastered, do you? You know, can't we learn more? Oh yeah, I don't need to go to that sermon. I, I know that passage really well. <laughs> okay. We need to continue to hear the Word of Christ. And this is where then, by the power of the Spirit, He opens our eyes to understand His Word. And that's what we're appealing for Him to do. There's lots of folks, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll argue simply because, oh yeah, well, I studied that book of the Bible once. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, let's, let's look at it now. Our attitude should be Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Well, as I close, I, I want to just think about Josh for a minute and his ministry. And as I was thinking about Josh Carey and his ministry here, I was just telling him in the side room here about how some of my first correspondence with Josh was in 2016. And so this has been a long relationship of getting to know him and Josh and Julie eventually coming and serving with us in various capacities. But I was reminded actually of another, another Baptist pastor, a, a man named Samuel Pierce. And Samuel Pierce was famous for his godliness he was one of the guys that supported William Carey to go on his missionary endeavor to India. And Samuel Pierce is who I called, and Michael Haken picked up on, I called him the Baptist Mercury because this, this is how he would talk. He said, through grace, in the future, in heaven, it will all be light by and by. Yes, and you and I shall be angels of light. All Mercuries then. Mercury. All near the sun. Always in motion. Always glowing with zeal. Flaming with love. That's what we're all to be. 
were all to be Mercury's, always orbiting the sun, always bent toward the sun, always oriented toward him, always having our posture toward him, bending every subject toward him, always orbiting, always moving, always flaming, always glowing as we gaze upon Jesus Christ with that zeal always in movement. And that's the charge to Josh, but that's the charge to everyone here and to myself, is that we would bend our ear to hear His voice, to hear His Word, even the very Word of Christ, to obey when the Father says, this is my Son, my Beloved. Listen to Him. Let's pray together. Almighty God, I ask that there would be a decluttering amongst us, a deep repentance, a simplification, a narrowing of our focus, and a cleaning out of our ears. That our ears would be cleaned out and we would be attentive to the voice of Jesus Christ, even to His Word. And that You would renew us that you would give us this exclusive faith that we would be zeroed in on Jesus, that we would be like planets orbiting the sun, and that the glow of Jesus Christ would be reflected in our faces. Oh Lord, please come and help us to this end. Come and make us those who are bent toward him, even his cross. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.